Okay, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. As we continue in this book, of course, when the last chapter will probably uh, probably preach a resurrection sermon message next Sunday, so we'll well, then we'll get back to finishing this. But as we consider this morning, a little, uh, Hebrews thirteen, I'm going to read the first six verses. The Bible says, "Let brotherly love continue." Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That's kind of a puzzling verse of Scripture, but uh, we'll try to uh, do the best we can with that. But anyway, verse 3, Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So you may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So the title of the message this morning is, Being Content in the Lord. Being Content in the Lord. Of course, taken there from verse 5. So let's pray and we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love, your mercies, and your truth that is preserved for us in our own language. We can have to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I pray that you help me to rightly divide thy truth this day, that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word, and that we would be encouraged, strengthened, challenged, convicted where conviction is needed and warned where warning is needed. So, Father, just help us and help us uh, to give heed to what we hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've read this passage many times, but I never really considered it as I considered it and what the subject of this particular passage is. I believe this paragraph, verses 1 through 6, but as I was reading through it, studying it, and I read a commentator and a few commentators on it, and, and none of them really brought this out. But as I was reading it and studying it and then read commentaries, some of the things they said, the thing that stood out to me about this, the theme of these verses is not marriage. It's not entertaining strangers. It's, it's not uh, adultery and whoremongers. The theme is being content. Because if we're not content, we're going to become guilty of all those things. It all hinges on being content in the Lord. In the Lord. You know, Timothy, Paul wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 or 8, says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Realize that's the only place this word is used in the Bible. Contentment, verse 6. For we brought nothing into this world, and certain we can carry nothing out. <clears throat> Excuse me. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Now, again, this is the only time this word contentment is used in the Bible. And it means a mind contented with its lot in life. And, you know, I fear the root cause of our sin many times is we are not content with what God has given us. And we thereby begin to covet what he has not given us. 
which really is idolatry. Colossians 3.5 tells us that covetousness is idolatry. So the subject here is to be content, is being content is to do what God commands, trusting him for the reward, and content with what he has given us with which to serve him. So we'll notice three things as we consider this passage of Scripture this morning. First of all, we need to be content with the obligations. You could use the word responsibilities also there. God has given us. And we see this in verses 1 and 2. He says, let, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You know, biblical love is more than just words. It's something that is to continue even in times of adversity or times of suffer and persecution. And it uses the word suffer adversity there in verse 3. And as you think about the context that this book of Hebrews is written, uh, my Bible dates it A.D. 64. And that's in the last four years of the reign of the notorious Roman Caesar Nero. Notorious for his persecution of Jews and Christians, particularly Christians. So this is the context. This is the time of persecutions of Nero. And so Christians would have been fearful or hesitant to express the love of God to the world or to those around them uh, because of the persecution that's rampant. It makes you a little hesitant. You know, aren't you a little hesitant? If you, if you think somebody's going to be uh, antagonistic against you for speaking about Christ or testifying to Christ, doesn't it make you a little hesitant? Now, we're not talking about just somebody that's maybe antagonistic. We're talking about people who would be uh, uh, at times where you could be arrested and put in jail and even put to death for witnessing for Christ. Or, 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 or you know... Um, Encouraging somebody in this. You know, so, so times like this creates a spirit of distrust for others. It, it creates caution. And, you know, it, you know again, you know, times you're verbally attacked, many are silent, not sure. If you're not sure where people stand, we tend to pull back to protect ourselves. That's human nature. And, and hesitant to express hospitality, and that's what the word entertain here means. He says, be not forgetful to entertain. Forget, don't be forgetful to, to show hospitality to strangers. Now, there's, you know, you know, when you want to know something, you know, they say go to commentaries, but, you know, usually when you really want to know something, commentaries don't know what it is about, so they don't talk about that situation. So, you know, entertain strangers, you know, that, that, that is, there's, there's not really any, any, anybody commentator that I find that makes a discussion about those. But, but uh, you know, he does say here that these, you, you know, by entertaining these strangers, it's, you know, I think it refers to somebody that you do not know or not aware of, or maybe not aware of their person or, their, or who they are. You've entertained angels. Now, you know, I, you know, some people say, well, you know, that, you know, I entertained an angel from heaven. I don't think that's what it's referring to. The word angel means messenger. You know, the Bible doesn't, enter, particularly in the New Testament, emphasize angels as going around and, and, and you know, uh, uh, meeting with people. No, what you have is messengers of the gospel, 
those who are preaching the gospel in different places, they traveled. And, and, and in the context that we're, we're talking about here, being that there's great persecution, it's a dangerous, if you want to say occupation, or dangerous business to be in. Even like during the, the uh, days of the Waldensians, they would send out their evangelists and they would go and present themselves as traveling merchants. And, and you know, carry with them jewelry or things of, of value that people might want. And then they might, might bring up a conference, strike up a conversation. Would you like to know uh, 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 something of the, the, the jewel of great worth? You know, their, their message was a little bit like a puzzle. And they weren't referring to a piece of jewelry you put on your arm or around your neck like a necklace. They were referring to the jewel of great worth of the scriptures. But see, there was fear. And we know from the, the book of Acts that although the church at Jerusalem started well, it was soon plagued by division caused by those zealous of the law. It created parties, factions in the church. So even within the church, and of course, I believe this is written to the church at, at Jerusalem, there were these parties and cliques. And so that again creates dissension in a church and factions and unrest. You're not sure, well, not sure if they're on your side. Do you want to express or express love or hospitality? You know, we know this from the, if you're reading the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 11, Peter went, you know, Acts chapter 10, Peter went to Cornelius. In Acts chapter 11, he comes back to Jerusalem. And those at Jerusalem contend with him because he preached the gospel to a Gentile. In Acts chapter 15, those that came from Jerusalem, came down to Antioch, saying, except you be circumcised, you cannot be saved. So there, again, there's this dissension in the church. The church, Jerusalem says, we didn't send them out. But they came from there. Acts 21, you know, they were divided over Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. The church of Jerusalem. Again, these things create suspicion, distrust. And what the writer is saying is the cure for all this is Biblical love. Biblical love. Well, what if? What if? You know, we say, well, yeah, but what if? You know, we need to be content to trust God with the what ifs. What if they don't respond in a positive way? Not everybody will. But the command is still the same. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus speaking to the disciples said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall one man know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And this, this love is defined in Romans chapter 13, in verses 8 through 10. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10 defines for us what biblical love really is. Uh, it says, O no man anything, but by love serve one another, but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it's briefly comprehended this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, love is not seeking your own way, 
but seeking to fulfill the law, the keeping of God's commands in relation to one another. Seeking the best in others. You know, so it is, we are to continue to love despite what you may think someone else thinks about you. We're to demonstrate love. We're to continue. He says, let, let brother love continue. And it is expressed to everyone alike. You know, Romans 12, verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate one another with brother love, in honor preferring one another. Verse 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 says, we're to, you know, that love thinketh no evil. We're not to judge motives of, or, or thinks someone has ill intentions when we don't know or jump to conclusions. We're to give others the benefit of that. And we're to entertain strangers. You know, there may have been some hiding for persecution's sake. And, and you know, they didn't make their identity known. And he said, so let this brotherly love continue. It's, it's our responsibility. You know, it could refer to, you know, sometimes we can, you know, sometimes we don't know what's going on in a person's life. And, you know, you may say words of kindness and concern, not knowing a struggle or a hardship one may go going through, which will encourage them. And so we're to be content. We're to let brotherly love continue even in difficult times. The second thing we see here is we can be content in our relations in the body of Christ. And notice two things here. First of all, we should, never be, we should not be ashamed of those being persecuted for the faith or ill-treated. If you notice in verse 3, he says, Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Now, so he's addressing the church there at Jerusalem, the body of Christ at Jerusalem, and he says, you remember them, don't forget about them that are in bounds. So there were some that were in prison because of their faith. Uh, there were some that were suffering hard adversity. That means they be, they're being ill-treated, they're being tormented. That's what that word means. And so he says, don't forget them. You need to remember them because they are in the body. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Colossi, Colossians, and Colossians 4.18 says, The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Remember my bonds. You know, probably the, some of the saddest words he wrote to me would be in 2 Timothy 4.16, where he said, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Now, we're not sure exactly what time that was, but it seems to be the first his first imprisonment and standing before the Romans and being tried by, you know, of course, that, uh, being tried by the Romans for, the, for preaching the gospel. And he says, but, but no man stood with me. Nobody supported me. I was left alone. All forsook me. But he said, I pray that, God, that it may not be laid their charge. See, the natural, again, the natural tendency of us is that we shy away from those who are being persecuted. For if we show our support or our identity with them, we might put ourselves in danger. And that is true. That is true. You know, Peter denied 
and forsook the Lord. Why? Fear. Fear of being implicated himself along with his Lord. You know, those, those, those are real, real feelings. And, and those, sometimes those things happen. You know, they were, the disciples were afraid. In John 20, verse 19, says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, this, of course, is after the crucifixion, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. See, they were, fear, they were afraid of being implicated along with Jesus. But Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto them. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Be not thou therefore... So knowing that God has not given you a spirit of fear... Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So God has given us a power. That word power there means might, strength. Therefore, he says, do not be afraid of me as prisoner. And you know, these, these fears are real. But we are commanded or encouraged not to be afraid, to remember, to identify with those that are in bonds. You know, the Anabaptist preacher, Balthazar Hubmeyer, was arrested for preaching, accused of heresy by the state church, sentenced to death, burned at the stake in Vienna, March 10th, 1528, steadfast to the end. His faithful wife, encouraging him in his faith, was therefore drowned three days later. In the Danube River. See, her standing, or her not forgetting her husband, but standing with him, caused her also to be put to death. See, fear is a real thing, considering that by encouraging someone else who is persecuted, we could be implicated. And being that these Hebrews were under great persecution at this time, Paul's telling them, look, Remember those that are in bonds. Don't forget them. Don't forget them. You know, one historian said there was two things that brought Christianity into conflict with Rome during this time. It's open rebuke of idolatry and sensuality. Rome was very immoral. And it's exclusive claims. None but Christ. You know, there, this was a time when Caesars were claiming deity and they were demanding worship. So they'd come around and, and, and want you to offer a pinch of incense on a little altar for the, for the Caesar. And of course, Christians refused to do it. And therefore, were persecuted. You know, our day is similar to this, much different, though we are in a country not being physically assaulted yet for our beliefs. We are being verbally maligned as intolerant, discriminatory against the woke ideology. And even many who profess to be Christian, quote-unquote, believe in many ways to God. Therefore, we are considered intolerant. Yet the bottom line is we are to support and encourage those 
who stand for the truth even if it's not popular or convenient. Remember that. You know, of course, this goes along with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 and 26, says, where it says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, and one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 25, so Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40, the Lord says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me meat. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer and saying, him saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw thee we a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? When saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And so we to remember them that are in bonds. We're to remember. We should not be ashamed. Secondly, we are to be content with the boundaries of family relationships God has set. Notice in verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but homemongers and adulterers God will judge. The word honorable is used here metaphorically. It means held in honor, esteemed, especially dear. The bed undefiled refers to the marriage bed that's not soiled, it's pure from sin. You know, God officiated the first marriage, and God honors marriage. And so God officiated that first marriage in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 21 through 25, where the Bible says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Of course, the Lord Jesus attended a wedding in Cana of Galilee and performed his first miracle in John chapter 2. And so he says we're to be content, you know, we're to be content in that. Uh, you know, the word whoremonger here means fornication or unlawful sexual intercourse, uh, which is the cause of many problems in homes in society. You know, God made or gave Adam one wife. But with sin in the world, man has continually been discontent. Again, discontent with what God, the Lord has given, given us. This is why Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. They weren't content with what God had given them. You know, we, we have this idea that God is keeping something from us. Actually, what he's doing is keeping something for us. You know, this is a lie of the old serpent. God's keeping something from you. You know, again, he said to, to, uh, to Eve, God doth know the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be open and ye be like God's. That's a lie. You know, Abraham and Sarah thought God needed some help to fill his promise. So he took Agar to be his wife. The fruit of that 
is the tension we see to this day in the Middle East between Arab and Israeli. Jacob took two wives, which really turned into four, and brought Tormo into his home. We know that David brought Tormo into his house. Solomon, uh, even strange woman, you know, he was loved of the Lord, but strange woman led him astray. See, marriage is ordained of God. There should, should be entered under his direction and authority. It is to be maintained under his command also. What does that mean? Does, does God approve or encourage this union? If you're thinking about marriage, we need to ask ourselves that question. Does God approve or encourage this union? Does the Lord's body approve of this union? After all, it's the pillar and ground of truth. Does the parental authority approve of this union? By the way, that's a biblical principle. In fact, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll see this. 1 Corinthians 7, and verse 35 to 38, says, And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but that for, for that which is comely, that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. If any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin. So we was, he's referring to a father here when he says any man. Uh, I'm coming toward his virgin. If she pass the flower of her age, so she's married of age, and needs so require, let him do what he willeth. He sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So if he don't, don't want her to get married, verse 38, So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that doeth, giveth her not in marriage doeth better. Now this was, this was if, if you're reading the context here, uh, he said, you know, because of the times they were in. This was, again, written. There was great persecution in, 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 uh, in the nation of Israel. And he said, so in times like this, sometimes it's better off. You didn't have the responsibility of a wife, and you didn't have the responsibility of the husband. Therefore, you aren't tied down, and you can easily flee. That was the context of this. So, so he's saying, you know, in a situation like this, he's saying it'd be better if you didn't have a wife. But however, however, not everyone can receive that, as what Jesus told us in, in the Gospel of Matthew. But, but it's telling us here, God has, a father has authority by God, over, by God over whether his daughter marries or does not marry. We look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 also gives us some insight concerning this issue. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond to defraud his brother in any matter, because that... The Lord is avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Now, in verse 4, it says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That word possess there means to acquire. To get or procure a thing for oneself in sanctification and honor, that is to marry a wife. So here's how, he's telling, he's talking to these Thessalonians, here's how, young men, you acquire 
or you get yourself a wife. This is how you acquire. And he says, don't go and beyond and defraud your brother in any matter. Don't commit fornication in this. Do this in sanctification and honor. In other words, you need to go to her dad and get permission. You know, when we have a wedding, father walks the bride down the aisle, and the preacher says, who giveth this man to be married to this woman? And the father says, I do. And what he's saying when he does that is, I'm releasing my headship over her, and I'm giving it to you, young man. I'm giving you the authority over her. I'm transferring it to you. See, to violate a young lady is to defraud her father. Defraud her father. That's what, that's what that means. And it, you know, we, we see an example of that in the Old Testament. You know, take a, a man's daughter without permission or transfer authority is defrauding him of his authority over her. You know, to our postmodern world, that's archaic but it's still scriptural. You know, Jacob's daughter, Dinah, I remember went out, Dinah went out with the daughters of the land, and when Shechem saw her, he wanted her for a wife, so he just took her into his tent, and he lay with her. And then he goes and talks to her father. You know, this is sort of like our day when people get attracted, young people get attracted to each other, become sexually active for marriage, or they move in together to see if they're compatible before they decide to get married. No, that's not how it's to be done. You know, and, he, and, and, and so when he says marriage is honorable, it's ordained of God and it needs to be under the leadership or the direction of the Lord. You know, many, many times people get married, they, just, they, they see it as just end, simply entering an, into a contract. It's not a covenant. There's no vows. You know, the, the vows don't mean that if, if it doesn't work out, you know, it's just a contract. If it doesn't work out, we'll just find another. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And, you know, she's nicer than my woman. And he's more considerate than my husband. And, and you know, why can't you be like him? And so on and so forth. And so just go get another one. And, and the problem is that spouses become discontent with one another and rather than work through it, feed that discontentment and look for another to bring satisfaction. But I got news for you. The only thing that's going to bring satisfaction to our hearts and our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ and doing his will. You know, Paul said in Philippians 4, I have learned in whatsoever state I am. You see, therewith to be content. Contentment is something that's learned by the grace of God. It's not given to us by getting a wife or getting a husband or, you know, whatever. You know, we're to be content in our marriages. Proverbs 5 15 to 18 says, Let drink waters out of thine own cistern, running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad in rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. 
So when he's talking about whoremongers here, he's talking about fornication. He said, so, so he said the marriage is honorable and bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. But when he goes to the word adultery, you know, we, 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 that's a, that's, usually that's a, a similar word, can mean the same thing, but it's a, here it's a different Greek word. It's used here as a metaphor, a figure of speech, and it speaks of not being faithful toward God. And it means to be ungodly or apostate. For example, in James chapter 4, it's used this way when he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world. So he's not talking about adultery between a man and a woman. He's talking about friendship of the world is to be at enmity against God. So he's talking about, it's a figure of speech. And, and these Hebrews would have clearly understood this. Because, in the Old Testament, Israel was looked at as the wife of Jehovah. And the, who had forsaken her husband. Israel had forsaken her husband, God, the Lord. In Isaiah 54, 54 and verse 5 says, For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken, grieved in spirit, and a, a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. And if you go over to Ezekiel, chapter 23, he talks about how Judah and Jerusalem imported idolatry from the Babylonians and the Assyrians and doted upon them as, as lovers, you know. And in doing so, they're forsaking God. You know, the message is clear here to, uh, that you cannot trust Christ and hang on to the law of Moses. You know, this is what the church of Jerusalem was continually struggling over. You know, they wanted to hang on to the customs and the laws of Moses. You know, when Paul came to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21, you know, he met with the elders, the pastors. But they said, you know, and they rejoiced in everything that he had done and bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. But they said, you know, there's many here still zealous of the law. And they... They are suspicious of you. Basically, that's what they said. They're suspicious of you. Because they believe you speak against this place and the law. But the writer here is saying, look, you can't. It's spiritual adultery to hang on, to try and believe that you can be saved by, by keeping the law of Moses. And then, but you also have to receive Christ. You can't have both. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. You can't trust Christ, God, and riches in the world. New Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. See, the struggle is, many have, is they want to have some security of life after death. But like these Hebrews, they want to maintain peace and security with the world they live in and have Christ at the same time. You know, that isn't always possible. Because the world will oppose you. They will oppose you. 
They want to keep the family peace. They want to be liked and well thought of in the community. We know in that day they were not. And Jesus re- receiving Christ and being baptized in the church of Jerusalem meant many were cut off from family. And sometimes that still happens today. But in verse 13 and 14 of this chapter, he says, Let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. You see, we have to be willing to, to bear his reproach. You know, Jesus tells us in Luke 14, 25-27, There went great multitudes with him, and, turn, and he turned and said unto them. So there was great multitudes following him. And, and so he turns around and says, Look, if you're going to come after me, and hate not his father, his mother, wife, and children, and brothers, sisters, yea, and his own life also, who can't, can't, cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Y'all wonder if the multitudes kept following him. And so, the point is, we have to be content with the boundaries that God has given us. It's Christ, plus nothing. In all things, you know, we could sum it up by saying this, in all things, he's to have the preeminence. His claim on us is exclusive to all others. And then thirdly, we must be content with the Lord's provisions. Verses 5 and 6, such a conversation, that's your manner of life, be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So it may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So our, as we think about it, being content, we need to be content with several things here. Be content with such things as you have. So we need to be content with what God has given us. Verse 5. Such things as you have. Now, the Jews normally were a wealthy people. They were well-to-do. You know, the Jews of Jerusalem, they were the, the, they were the, the higher class. And were, but, but with the persecution, and there was a drought around this time, remember in the book of Acts, Paul talked about the offerings for the churches of Jerusalem because there was a dearth there in that time. So there was a, there was a drought and a famine. And so there was a lot of hardships during this time for the children, for the, for the, for the Hebrew Christians there in Jerusalem, they were under, and so some of them would have been under financial straits uh, and, and difficult times. You know, he talks about suffering adversity in verse 3. But forsaking the commands and responsibilities and privileges God has given us as his children and servants is not a way to overcome difficulties. And adversities in life. And so he tells them, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things. So don't, don't start looking to the world to find satisfaction and to meet your needs. You need to trust God. You need to trust God. You know, instead of looking to the world, we should, or going away from God, we need to, we should draw nearer to God. We should seek His will. We should seek His help more fervently. Look at uh, chapter 4. 
in verses 14 through 16. Chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not... We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. We may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, so we need, he's again challenging them to draw near to God, to seek help from God. In uh, chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as to see a day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. So, so we're, to, you know, we're not to forsake the assembly to, to look for uh, ways to provide and, 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 and meet our needs. We're to trust the Lord. We're, we're to... Uh, uh, we're not to turn away from this, the assembly, his church. You know, it's like cutting yourself off from the very source of life. The source of wisdom, direction, and help. But how often we, in times of difficulty, turn away from the Lord, who is our help. He's the one that can help us. You know, the world many times can define and say they can relate. But one thing they can't do and don't provide is solutions. And so we need to be content with what God has given us. We also need to be content with where God has placed us. Notice verse 6. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, our position in relation to others, our gifts, our talents, our abilities that he has given us, or the place in which he has brought us, we need to be content there. We need to be content there. You know, many times think, people think because they don't have speaking ability or music ability, they're subpar. Or subpar. You know, they wish they could be like somebody else. But you know, that's not, just not true. That's just not true. You know, every part of the body that's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is important. Some of the parts are seen, and some of the most important parts are not seen. They're not seen. You know, there are gifts that are really not readily seen. Gifts of mercy, care, giving, helps. You know, we could say helps. Lawn, cleaning, ushering, greeting, nursery. All these are helps. You know, you know one of the things we were blessed with when we started the church is we had two families. And we started the church the very first Sunday, of course, and Jacqueline came over also from Calvary on loan, and, and she played the piano for us. So we had a piano player, we had an organ player, we had a song leader, 
We had a pastor. We had Sunday school teachers for three different classes. We had nursery workers. You may get many a person or a man who's endeavored to start a church, it's just him and his wife. I know, I know one pastor that he played the piano, tried to lead the singing, did the preaching. You know, and it limits him. But the very first Sunday, we had Sunday school class for any kids that may have showed up. We had nursery workers or any babies that may have showed up. See, it looked almost like a church that had been in existence for several years. Why? Because we had all these different gifts and abilities and helps. It just wasn't the guy preaching or the guy singing, you know. And so we need to be content with what the Lord has given him and allow him to be your helper with what he has given to you. Jameis Fawcett Brown says, we're to be content with such things you have, literally means present things, so present conditions. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. A promise tantamount to this was given to Jacob in Genesis twenty-eight fifteen, to Israel, Deuteronomy 31, to Joshua, Joshua 1, 5, and to Solomon, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 20. He says, it is therefore a divine adage. What was said to them extends also to us, He will neither withdraw his presence, never leave thee, nor his help, nor forsake thee. Unquote. Therefore, we need to be content. Be content. You know, God has given us a promise that he'll never leave us, nor forsake us. And we need to be content in those promises. We need to be content in the boundaries that he has set up. We need to be content with the responsibilities he has given us. You know, we're going to have tribulation in this world. You know, Jesus told his disciples before he was crucified in John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And Luke 12, 32 he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you're saved, you're in the kingdom of God. We need not fear. We need to be content in Him. Content in serving the Lord and walking with Him and fulfilling His will for our lives. Are you content in Him? Do you know him as your Lord and as your Savior?